3: Hello everyone and welcome to Straight White Whale. This is episode 94. Thank you very much for joining us back. And Before we get into it, I just want to give a shout out to some mental health charities, as we always do. Brothers in Arms, back on side. You know they deal by new troops. If you're struggling and you need help, go on back on side. They've got a list of numbers there. The Samaritans, breathing space. If you feel like you've got addiction problems, if you need help with your sobriety, like I did, there's a list of numbers on that website, you can phone for free and they will help you. So there we go. Beautiful. I've, I've done my bit. And also we've got Dean Byrne in the studio today, but before we get to Dean, um, we need to do an ad read, is that alright Dean? Ah, of course. Thank you very much. Dean, you
4: are <clears throat> uh, lamenting your your voiceover skills, wait to you hear me, mate. Oh, I'm kidding can't, on. See, wait. just before we get into it as well, I've just recabled the studio and it would seem that Darren's camera's cable just flicked, like dropped a frame. So if any sort of shenanigans like blank screens happen, apologies.
3: We know what Dean's like, total diva. I know. <laughs> before the, the podcast started, he actually physically slapped me. <laughs> and he and he told me to do better. <laughs>
4: he gave it to me. He gave us a a 35-minute critique of the podcast before we started. I'll give you some blood, sweat, and fears to think about. (laughs) How dare you? How dare you? So this week's uh, sponsor is Alan Argue and Argue & Co. Legal. They're a Glasgow-based law firm, and their offices are based in George Square. How he affords the rent, we don't know. They can assist you with most any legal issue, but if you make an inquiry and they don't or they can't assist you, it's too much pressure Dean's staring at me These are, two, these are actors <laughs> Like I'm feeling too much pressure They can assist you with most legal issues But see if you make an inquiry and they can't assist you They'll point you in the right direction And you can't ask any further on that Their main area of expertise is personal injury claims Notice noticed how I said that perfectly They're done well, last <laughs> week Injuryly So if you've been in a car accident Or injured at work Get in touch and they'll get you the maximum compensation That you deserve The main difference between arguing co-legal and the big law firms that you see and hear advertising on the TV and radio is the level of customer services. And again, I'll repeat this, guys. Uh, Alan helped me with a car accident and I got the maximum compensation. They genuinely treat every client like a friend or family and they keep you up to date with your case and speak to you like a normal person. And I've got personal experience of that, like I've said. They're cheaper than any other law firm, but they also do no win, no fee. If there is some sort of fee, for your case, if you quote straight white whale, you will get a discount off any of your fees. I think that's amazing. So if you can contact them on 0141 378 4145, all of their info is underneath. Search Arguing Co. on Facebook and Instagram, and their website is arguingco.co.uk. That's A-R-G-U-E-A-N-D-C-O dot Thanks, Alan, for the support.
3: Thank you very much for doing the ad reads and Dean picked that song by the way it was a Smashing Pumpkins today and I just noticed you're wearing a Smashing Pumpkins jumper.
2: Oh yeah this is uh this is like one of my most common like uh, gig outfits I love the Smashing Pumpkins like they've been my favorite band ever since I was like 11 years old like uh. Did you guys ever play, like, Guitar Hero and stuff when that was, like, big? Yeah. So my parents uh, got me Guitar Hero for the PS2 when I was about, like, uh, 10 or 9. It was, like, the Guitar Hero Aerosmith, and I started getting addicted to that, and I was playing it like I was a fucking rock star. And by the time that, um, I think, Band Hero had come out, I never had, like, the full set or anything. And in Dubai, there was this sort of, like, children's fair at the pub that my dad uh, used to visit all the time. So I went over there, there's a bunch of these primary school kids running around and I see they're doing a Guitar Hero competition at this point i have gotten to the stage where i can do expert mode and all these little dweebs they're just playing like taylor swift on easy (laughs) mode and i go out there with dirty little secret by the all american rejects not just the guitar the microphone and everything on expert running around like i'm at the fucking cat house and i won the whole set and then i had to drag this whole band hero set back to my dad's jeep and like can we fit this in the car oh did you win it yeah i won the thing and then i had guitar hero world tour back at home and billy corgan is a character in that that. and they have that song today by smashing pumpkins and i just love the way that song sounds you know it's very nostalgic feeling it's almost like an ice cream truck and it's the one song to this day i've never forgotten how to play on real guitar
3: yeah well here that's a humble brag isn't it I know. I know. um bully corgan as well what a life he's had i know he does the wrestling now and i've said this to you before you actually kind of look like a wrestler <laughs> <laughs> a wrestler that stepped aside <laughs>
2: To but, be fair, most of them should be stepping aside. Have you seen the state of WWE these days? Yeah. Like, Rey Mysterio's kid is not only taller than Rey Mysterio, he is now overtaking his father in, like, uh, the notoriety on WWE. And I'm like, I remember when Rey Mysterio was my favorite wrestler and now he's being overshadowed by this tall fucking gimp. Like,
4: Yeah. Well, I've not watched wrestling in fucking years
2: it's lost its edge since like the uh the attitude era and like i think the last good year of wrestling was probably 2007 when edge was in his heel phase that's when i stopped watching it
4: yeah yeah i went to i see i've seen smashing pumpkins a few times uh the first time i went i was 15 16 and i walked into so i went to school i grew up I mean Dean does a podcast in the studio, but Dean probably doesn't know a lot about me. You know right. what's it called? Blood, sweat, and Fears. Yep. The blood, sweat, and Fears podcast uh-huh. about horror movies, which I actually really enjoy working on. Some podcasts I don't enjoy working on, um, like this. Name one. all of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, kidding <laughs> I'm kidding on. I'm kidding on. I'm kidding on. I Like it's no. I wouldn't. Just in case people, anybody is watching, there isn't any podcasts I don't enjoy working on um but there's some that i just kind of switch off while i'm working on but uh, i'm big horror a big movie fan big horror fan so i genuinely love working on your podcast but dean doesn't know a lot about me um i grew up in east end in a scheme Mm -hmm. so when i went to school i'm 40 so when i went to school there were two types of people there were the jannies helpers and there were the neds Would you agree, Don? Like that. Yes. There was no I goths. want to see the
2: West Side Story remake of that where those are the two gangs. That's the two gangs, the Janney's <laughs> Helpers and the Neds. Well, the Janney's Helpers were pretty much...
4: like, the guys with APALs. No and then and everybody else was an Ned. There was no goffs, there was no marshals. You know, There was one guy that went to my school that listened to Metallica. That was it. Everybody else was into Oasis and all, all that. It was the 90s. And I turned up to school Thursday... We like a Smashing Pumpkin zero hoodie, and oh, mate, I've, I've I got, got the shirt
2: of that. As right, well. I
4: get bodied, mate. Like <laughs> I was getting called Elvis. Like, what's that? What's that? What's a Smashing Pumpkin? And I was like, oh, it's like a rock band, and they were like, What like, fucking Elvis. Like that's the level of intellect that you're talking about. So I get bullied for liking the Smashing Pumpkins, um, and I have since came to hate Billy Corgan because he's a bit of a weirdo. I've got a Nirvana tattoo and. There's the rumours about him and Courtney mm-hmm. Love while Kurt was still alive. So I'm just like, do you know what? And also, I watched an interview with him two months ago where he claimed to come up with a Nirvana guitar sound. And I'm just like, no, Billy.
2: No. no. Well, I've always thought like Smashing Pumpkins sound like Nirvana if Kurt had survived. Like they're way more depressing sounding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You so, also kind of look like you were in a band as well. Like... I, I, w- I was in a couple of bands when I was a kid, yeah, but... uh I started that. I started smoking when I was eighteen, and my vocal cords are not what they used to be.
3: Yeah, that's how like Glaswegian I am because you've got your hair dyed. I'm like, that's dead exotic, man. <laughs> you in a band, big man? <laughs> that's like
4: that time where I was standing at the bus stop when I first grew the beard. I was standing at a taxi rank at three in the morning uh, in Merchant <clears> City, and a guy just kept coming up to me shouting, "Like you're in the fucking Taliban." <laughs> mental <laughs> like there's a few other things that you need not just a beard to be in the <laughs> taliban you know like yeah. but literally like guy yeah, was pure doing that so that's what you just did your long hair you're in a band
2: big man i can't imagine you without a beard as well like i feel like it would look like a different person do you want to see? oh yeah
3: please tally bam <laughs> am i right wow. that would probably win an award <laughs> what a fringe show. <laughs> <laughs> well like what's the award at the fringe <laughs> Well, as Paul's looking for that photo, I just want to talk to the listeners. Dean Byrne is a very funny stand up comedian. He does his own podcast and he's doing, he's smashing it on the, the Scottish comedy scene. I said to Dean, I was going to get him on the podcast months ago, but just because it's uh we're just so busy, mm-hmm. I've just got you in, mate. So, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I appreciate uh, you coming. Oh,
2: wow. Well, that is not you. That's yes, is. That isn't you, mate. <laughs>
4: Holy fuck. That was me and my emo. Like my my emo phase of
2: life. It but does that, it does me. look very Jared Way esque. Who, who's was that again? The guy from My Chemical Romance. Amazing. I'll get a more recent one. That was a long time ago. Or oh, like. the cunt out a
3: pulp that loves cheese. <laughs> <laughs> what? He's a mad cheese farmer or something. I mean cheese is great. Yeah.
2: That's a more recent one. I'll okay, just... that, that that does look, I can see more of your face.
4: That, that. was just before I grew the beard. Yeah, you yes said that. Um, Mate, you need
3: to put the photos up for the beard.
4: Oh, I, I will put Aye. the photos up. There was that one for a photo shoot when I was in a
2: band. You see, see the black and white filters I mean that could be like anybody. Like that could just be a picture of like Liam Gallagher or something. And I will well, take the that difference. as a compliment. Yeah, not, not personality wise, <laughs> but like.
3: Yeah. <laughs> So we're talking about scheme people in primary schools and stuff. Mm -hmm. You went to primary school in Dubai,
2: yes, I did. Uh, Where there's in Dubai, like I'll be straight up with this, like uh, because it is something that uh, I was a little bit struggling with when I started, and you see it a lot still. Is that you get sometimes get a lot of comics that um, pretend to be working class, or they're too middle class that they don't know how to make themselves like relatable and. I had one of the uh, one of the best moments uh, on the comedy scene with uh, Chris Scott, who's a very funny comic as well. As Definitely I, not working class, <laughs> not working class. But nah, <laughs> I was doing a routine about how. So you've seen like how I talk about like being in foster care and then uh, going to Dubai after that. He said it's good that I kind of start with the foster care stuff and then lead them into Dubai because that way it doesn't feel almost as if I'm above the audience. Because I was always afraid of mentioning. Stuff about my upbringing when I started because I thought like this will make me instantly unrelatable. But since I've started like uh, just letting the audience in, it's gigs have been going a much better. And I make fun of the fact that I was in private school as well. Like when I went open for Mark Black, and uh, actually all my stand up friends do this as well. I used to have a joke about saying the joke school I went to was a private school, and then I just encouraged the audience to boo. It just brings them along for the ride. It's really good. So you're
4: saying that you were in foster care?
2: Yeah, yeah. um, From when I was about two to, um, I think, five or six in a foster home in Aberdeen. I barely remember it, to be honest. I've got like vague flashes of what the house looked like. And uh, obviously, I think I was in like an unsafe situation when I was very young. I don't remember much of that. But uh, the only memory I do remember is I think it was either me or my brother that had a tricycle and rode it down a set of stairs and we were both fine afterwards, like yeah. not injured at all. Maybe that's the autism in me. Who knows? But uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, then I got adopted and uh, brought out to Dubai because my dad got a job there and uh, grew up there and came back here when I was 18.
3: Wow, man. What a life. <sighs> Mentor.
2: Yeah, How I saw you... Tom Cruise climbing the Burj Khalifa when I was about... Uh, when we were filming <laughs> Mission Impossible like 2010 and he was actually doing it for real it wasn't a stunt double or anything. Ah he does all his own stunts. Yeah I'm I'm just waiting for the day that one of his stunts goes wrong like it'll be like a Steve Irwin situation uh, people are always like oh he was fucking around with crocodiles gets killed by a stingray I hope Tom Cruise just gets like run over by a cyclist or something like that yeah, It's <laughs> a shame it's not happened already <laughs> um, How? Do- <laughs> Sorry. Sorry Tom Cruise
4: Um He's a, he's a cunt isn't he? um what's your thoughts on dubai siren i don't th- i don't think you'd been in the studio i don't think i'd met you and i think i've seen a clip of you talking about living in dubai mm-hmm. i i've been to dubai once that's enough in a like... previous life let's just say and when i was there i thought it was pretty fucking quality to, to be honest but as the years have went by I remember going into like Old Dubai mm-hmm. and and then just sort of like the paradox between one side of the river and the other <laughs> side of the river literally is like wild on one side. I... It's the most luxurious, beautiful place. You, you can get what you like, you know, when I, I stayed there. I stayed in Atlantis the Palm. It's like fucking seven star hotel. Oh, They're right. like you can take a loan of a you know a supercar, blah blah blah. But then you go into like the Sooks, and it's poverty. It's the poverty is wild. Like dumb. You would like you wouldn't believe it. That there was a so the way that the Sooks work is, you know they've got all the counterfeit watches and clothes. But you're walking down the street and it's just a guy, in what looks like a closed door. And they're like, come on up. And you go up through a close and then it opens and it's just like all the fake gear. Like a big superstore hidden in this market. Was that Dragon Mart? Because I think I remember that. um, There was loads of them. There was Uh loads of them there. Um, But even this one, but as we were going up, there was like pools of blood. Jesus. Like, (laughs) like, Like children running about with no shoes on. Like the place is just so for that's the playground of the rich and famous of the west Mm -hmm. but the actual people that stay there are so badly impoverished that as like years have went on since when i've been there i've looked back and i'm like i don't really like that place
2: like i would never go back Nah, it's like imagine a cross between like blade runner and the texas chainsaw massacre and that's what you get when you get dubai wow like uh, it's because it's because when i moved there it was still mostly like a desert area and very like sort of not necessarily poverty-stricken, but, you know, it didn't look like a regular city. And then as I grew up, that's when they started adding more of the skyscrapers and all the, the metro stuff. And then it all became, like, this really rich kind of paradise kind of world. And it became basically like Beverly Hills, but in the future. And growing up there was really weird because we had this thing where thankfully i came back uh, to glasgow every summer so it kept me sort of relatively grounded you know uh, and then all my mates from uh, around paisley would be like you come back to scotland for your summer holidays what the fuck are you doing <laughs> you, ever, you ever been in dubai in july <laughs> oh, oh um, yeah hell, man. you can literally fry eggs on the pavement ah. in fucking dubai and during summer it's not good and worst of all is like uh, so i'm not going to be judging like the religion or anything but they have ramadan in dubai and it was mostly during summer and during that time they don't stop with the whole um laborers working on the buildings things and they're not allowed to have like water and stuff because you know it's their religion i thought that's yeah. fucking barbaric yeah Come there's up.
4: like as well they've built like air-conditioned walkways and the nice bit so that you can go about constantly indoors constantly in aircon but then like you're saying, they've got literal slaves on building sites that mm-hmm. are just out there exposed to like 45, 50 degree heat, man. It's, it's For frying work.
3: eggs on pavements though. I would like I'd like to see you make a TikTok about that. <laughs>
2: Imagine a YouTube channel like making fry ups on pavements. <laughs> yeah. Well you can't have any pork products there in device, so
4: Yeah. Not unless you're on the palm. <laughs> It's like you're not know allowed to drink alcohol either, but I get fucking steaming when I was there. Do you know? What oh, I mean?
2: yeah. It's like they have this thing with the alcohol where you need like a license to have alcohol in your house. So to get alcohol for the house parties and stuff, people would have to drive like two hours out to this place called Barracuda in the desert, bring back a whole bunch of booze, and then pray to God they didn't get stopped by the police on the way there. Because if they caught you with alcohol, you were fucked. Yeah.
4: <clears throat> I mean, see, like, I'm, I've, I'm, I very much became a bit of a social justice warrior. Mm-hmm. But knowing like the you know
2: not in the armchair activism kind of way, like you well, actually get involved in the well, stuff. I it. mean, I
4: don't get involved f- much further than than commentating on podcasts and talking about it. That's still doing something. Suppose it, it. it could it could be seen as that. It's about as about as, as, as little, it's about as much as I can manage, you know. But um the I really look down on people that go to Dubai, see like this whole influencer lifestyle that's been built up where you're going to a place where you're not allowed to be gay, you're not allowed to drink, you're not allowed to be, you know, sex outside marriage if you're a, a resident or if you're born there, but if you've got money and you want to go and be on the palm and be technically out in the middle of the water, you can pretty much do whatever the fuck you want. And that's the bit where I'm like, I, I don't, I don't know, man. It leaves a really sort of sickening taste in my mouth, Dubai. And what's happening in the Middle East is like trying to make it basically like a playground for the rich and famous. But the people that live there are under totalitarianism almost, are uh, Like religious sort of Zionism. And uh, it's just, I, I, I can't get on board with it. I just cannot get on board with it
2: i was never really aware of that growing up but like there was definitely a near a style of like kid there who grew up just never being told no in their life like i had a mate who borrowed his dad's porsche to drive to a house party crashed it and then by the monday he had a new one so these are the kind of people that you're dealing with it's like they'll grow up with relatively like no self-awareness no understanding of like what their privilege is as a person and then I found that really hard to sort of relate with because despite like, I would say that I grew up like very middle class and like I was, my parents made sure that I had everything that I needed. You know, they were very supportive, very lovely. But my dad was brought up working class and he kind of instilled that attitude in me from a young age. Like if you want something, you have to work to get it. No one's just going to hand you something on a silver platter so i've kind of taken that with me like I've, i approach that to everything i do but there were a lot of kids in dubai who you can tell never got that and they just they expect to be handed things and that kind of attitude just really winds me up and you see that a lot especially with the influencer culture that you're talking about what yeah.
3: age did you come back at
2: uh so we moved away from dubai when i was about 18 or 19 i uh I wanted to come back and do a uni here. And then I think we stayed in Cyprus for a year because my parents wanted to just like retire and just uh, live out the rest of their life out there. They've since moved back because, you know, my dad's sadly passed on now, but um, I came back here when I was around 21 and I felt way more at home, but because I'd been conditioned like growing up in Dubai and being like really anxious and like uh, shy around people, there were times when I came back here in like 2017 for the first two or three years i never left the house i was fucking terrified so i would only ever go out for college or maybe go to the Odeon and just like uh, keep to myself mostly but i was absolutely terrified of going out and stand up after lockdown is something that i got really into and i thought this could be a good way to get out and meet people and i really like the art of it if i do well i'll keep at it and since then it's been two years of that journey and i'm a much happier person for it now.
4: Yeah. What was it that stopped you feeling like going out? Just social
2: anxiety. Or... A lot of social anxiety. Yeah. Like, cause I was, cause being autistic, like you struggle dealing with change a lot, and having to like be away from my parents and having to provide for myself for the first time in my life. It was a lot of to take in for me at the time, and I just felt like, okay, I need to have one thing in my life I could control, and I can control what I do with my spare time. I can just stay in. I can write fiction i can watch movies i can just hang out with a lot of my friends that i had made online who are really into film stuff like uh, this was around the time when uh screen junkies was very popular like uh you familiar yeah, with that yeah. at all yep yeah sadly uh one of their owners turned out to be a massive fucking beast and i despise him but uh i made a lot of friends through that just like uh talking about film and uh, having podcasts and we would just all hang out on like google hangouts and stuff and i felt like okay i've got my friends here i don't really need to go out and make more friends but it was damaging to my mental health and i only realized that during lockdown
0: Mm
3: -hmm. lockdown was pretty grim for that stuff and you've been doing it for two years
2: yeah um
3: i think come november i'll be doing two years for (laughs) stand-up well what a, what a life you've had man that is very fascinating and like i thought i never realized it was two years like because i think we've only kind of been talking for about a year or something
2: mm-hmm. yeah i came to um i think the first funny bunch that you started back up yeah. Um, i might actually i remember it very clearly uh you'd put up a thing about in the forum about oh uh, we've got comps for a funny bunch if you want to have a gig uh, don't be a cunt you know show up to gigs and then i messaged you you said sadly all the comps were gone but i was coming, planning to come down anyway so i just bought a ticket yeah. then i met you there and you were dead sound and the show was great i think it was uh stuart mcpherson uh cmb uh, ross daly and chelsea young were all the lineup yeah. and they're all people <clears throat> that i really like so
3: yeah i remember that too and then you came and done the funny bunch and he fucking smashed it like absolutely smash you weren't there were you paul no 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 i smashed it like uh that That was was
2: generally one of my favorite gigs that i've ever done that (laughs) august funny bunch
3: do you know i've never i've not compared many gigs but you were doing so well i actually felt like shouting just keep going but i've never had anyone i've never seen that at a gig before so i was like i didn't know what to do Mm -hmm. but you fucking smashed it mate and it was brilliant and i'm i'm glad that you came down it was amazing and then your kind of amazing knowledge of movies and stuff i think i'm quite clued up in Mm -hmm. movies but then you come along and i'm like who is this cunt like fucking phone book knowledge of movies and stuff uh so dean's got a podcast and it's called blood sweat and fears we mentioned it it's fantastic check it out Mm -hmm. so there we go when did you find now, I don't want to be offensive, right? I don't mean to be offensive, but y- you have autism. Yeah. When when did you find this out? Uh,
2: so I knew when I was about... I was diagnosed with it when I was about six years old, and... I never really understood it fully until I was about maybe nine or 10, but my mom would have me go and basically see like a therapist like during school. I never realized it was therapy at the time. I just thought, Oh great. I get to stay out of class and talk to this lady for an hour
0: and draw yeah. pictures and talk about <laughs> like
2: things that I'm interested in. I didn't realize that it was basically therapy I was going to, <laughs> And but then, um, like growing up with it was really weird because when you're autistic, you overthink a lot of stuff. And because I'm going to all these things and like, I'm noticing all the other kids in my class are not doing that it makes you feel kind of like you're isolated like you're the odd one out but and for you know for a lot of my um high school life i i kind of i felt like an outsider a lot of the time and but lately with comedy and with like performing and with like horror movies i thought if i'm gonna be an outsider well i might as well be the best fucking outsider that i can be and Sort of like, because I know there's loads of other people out in the world who do feel that way as well. So I have this thing in my comedy where I've been described as, and this is from audience members, like two things that have kind of, I think, sum up who I am as a comedian. One I don't agree with, one I can kind of see. One is, at the stand, there was an old lady that came up to me and said, you know, you remind me of kind of like a boy next door type. And when I told that to uh, Jay Lafferty, she laughed in my face because it was like, no, you're not. And then the other one was that you're kind of a likable kind of misfit and i think like joking about being a kind of misfit and like having the kind of jokes where it's like oh the the whole thing is that you take things to literally you see things in a different way than others that kind of brings a lot more people in and i think that's why a lot of people like do respond to my stand up when they see me live and like all i'm doing is being myself and when i had like when i started I wasn't being myself so uh you i've told you about this before but i used to have a really stupid stage name yeah and like all of my comedy mates who are listening to this you're gonna fucking love this <laughs> oh yeah so when i started i was still coming out of that phase of i'm so shy and so autistic that i don't because part of my autism is that i have this thing called rejection sensitivity dysphoria and that's where if you are really rejected on one thing it can like sort of cripple you emotionally for a few days and like that there would be times where i would just spend three or four days in bed just like re-watching like horror films trying to feel better about myself so i knew like going in to stand up i don't want to go on there as my own name because what if they don't like me And what if that rejection hits so hard that I end up going back into being the sort of never leaving the house and things like that. So I went by the Glasgow kit, because it was kind of like this sort of weird character that I'd invented, almost like an outlaw who's (laughs) like, yeah, I'm the sort of truth-telling kind of outlaw guy, don't fuck with me kind of thing. But... The issue with that was I was kind of isolating myself even more. I was doing jokes that I didn't think were funny, but I thought the audience would respond to like a lot of topical and current events stuff. And then a lot of my friends who I'd made uh, during stand up, and I'm so grateful to be made with these guys—people who have come up with like Jack Trainer, uh, Peter Bell, Kyle Samuel, Charlie Ashton, Sean Chalmers—all those people—they constantly teased me about the Glasgow kid name and why it was like it's it was stupid to have. And that they were really encouraging me to just be myself on stage. And then right before Fringe, I saw this clip of uh, Vittorio Angeloni talking on a podcast saying, like, if you are if you're not being genuine in stand up, why the fuck are you in it? And that kind of broke me out of it. So I messaged Kyle, said, hey, I know I'm the Glasgow kid on our Fringe poster, but can we change it? I just want to go back to my real name. And then when I did go back to my real name, I started talking about being in foster care. I started talking more about my experiences in Dubai and being autistic. And the improvement that I felt as a stand-up from then on just kept fucking escalating. So I wish I had been that brave from the get-go, but I'm glad that
3: I went through that journey of my career as well, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes, I mean, I think it's quite, it makes you likable as well. Like that's <laughs> a kind of cute story into it calling yourself the Glasgow kid, like, <laughs> um, uh, but here it's about finding your <laughs> voice and you you find that through constantly gigging and i've been through that as well when i first started i used to wear a really stupid suit and i felt like i was hiding behind the suit
2: i uh, i could you never know? wear a suit on in a stand-up thing I, I feel like that's kind of going away now though yeah. right? like the suited comedian
3: yeah it's like I, when did you start i did my very first gig when i was 18 and then I never done it again until I was 24, and then I started from 24 kinda onwards. So I've been around the circuit since I've been 18, and I'm 36 now. Okay, now
2: from that's that's quite a career, man.
3: 18 to 24, all I did was watch stand up, and then I built up the courage again to do to do another gig. But then you know, I I would probably say I've been going for 15 years, but I didn't gig during COVID. I also took i was having really bad mental health problems once and i took a a year break so i've kind of dipped dipped in and out but i've always watched it and always kind of been around the circuit Mm. because i remember a promoter it was like my third gig or something and a promoter was like that you've been going for years and i was like no 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 i've done my first gig years ago and i disappeared because i was shite i was fucking shite (laughs) (laughs)
2: what kind of stuff were you doing when you started because I'm always curious to see how comedians like started off
3: do you know I can't really remember much of what I was doing but a comedian was like you need to keep doing it and you'll find your voice eventually I'm quite similar to you I was like scared about mental health and addiction and stuff Mm -hmm. I was like I'm never going to talk about that so I was like kinda you know generic jokes Uh uh-huh it feels like the sort of comedy
4: version i'm asking don't it? yeah very much you're 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 trying not to let people see the person behind the comedy you're it's almost like i'll keep it here at arm's length yeah and you could be you could be na- like I. I think Darren. I'm sure you agree. I think
2: Darren's naturally funny. Yeah, like generally <laughs> one of the most naturally funny people I've ever met. I think there's like two Thank different
4: types me. of com- comedian. Um, you get people like Darren who could go up on stage and talk about trainers, or you know, <laughs> seen him. Fuck's sake, man! You did ten <laughs> minutes on a hammer in the stand, right? And it was hilarious. So you could get people like that. Then you can you could get. So I think you could mask. Because you could just write some generic material and you'd still be funny, but if you're really wanting to really take it to a level that people would or people would want to watch or really like gravitate towards it, you, you need to let people into the person behind the comedy. The comedy needs to still be good. You can't just go up and go trauma dump on a crowd. Mm-hmm, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think I've also seen that happen.
2: Oh, I see that happen still. <laughs> like uh, I go to a lot of open mics and. The thing that frustrates me about it a little bit is that I see all of the... like like Being emotionally open on stage, I think, is great. But see, when you don't have the punchlines along with it and the comedy to go with it, it's just uncomfortable for five minutes. And <laughs> the other side of that is sometimes I'll see like people who are LGBT or uh, autistic as well, but they won't make enough of an effort to kind of let the audience in and also entertain the audience. What they do is they go up and they'll say something like, i'm neurodivergent or i'm bisexual or i'm pansexual and you can see them almost pause and look to the audience like they're expecting a round of applause for it so i was very conscious of that when i was writing jokes about it so I, uh, i'm sure i did this at your gig as well but i have this joke where i say like oh i'm a bisexual autistic comedian usually that gets a cheer but now i go into the punchline way quicker so it doesn't because that fucking annoys me and as the punchline to that is or as twitter likes to say a brave inspiring role model <laughs> And that kind of (laughs) endears me to the audience a little bit because like it's kind of, uh, oh, yeah, you hear bisexual autistic comedian, you think you're going to get like some sort of lecture on um, LGBT rights or whatever. But then I've kind of just twisted it and uh, shown them as no, I'm just one of you guys like and then Brave Inspiring Role Model kind of spirals into a whole other thing of. How the only thing brave about me is I stay in Renfrew. Only thing I'm inspiring is a gay remake of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. And then I talk about two role models that were letting me down because I was bad at picking role models when I was a kid. (laughs) Like, it was Gal Gadot, J.K. Rowling, and I used to have a Kevin Spacey bit.
0: (laughs) Oh, wow.
2: (laughs) I used to be my favorite actor when I was a kid, and uh, I don't do the Kevin Spacey joke now because I think it's a bit too crass, but uh, the Gal Gadot and the J.K. Rowling one stays in.
3: A Kevin Spacey poster above your bed. <laughs> fucking
2: hell. I think it was like uh, I saw him in Superman Returns and I really liked his take on Lex Luthor. And now re watching that film, I'm like, you're just trying to copy Gene Hackman, you fucking hack.
3: Yeah. Have you seen K Packs?
2: I haven't, no. What's <laughs> that? Uh,
3: he plays an alien in it. I've spoken about it does. before and he eats a full banana, <laughs> unpeeled that's acting (laughs)
4: that's acting no it's not it's not acting kevin spacey is genuinely a
2: fucking creep like he would he's the type of guy that would sit and eat a full banana yeah have you seen actually that um when the thing of him came out it was around 2017 and there's a clip from baby driver where he talks to ansel elgort and he says i was blinded by the balls on that kid and watching it back now knowing what happened to him just makes that line even fucking weirder and then the last movie he did after his allegations had come out which also starred ansel elgort a fellow nonce was called billionaires boys club i'm <laughs> like you're not being very self-aware here are you That's kevin it. like and his
4: most famous role
2: american beauty He's he's a fucking he's a nonce
4: so <laughs> it's like <laughs> what the fuck do you know what i mean he's yeah. having like mad fucking weird sex dreams about the last the wee girl who stays next door so you're, it's weird isn't it mm-hmm. like Kevin Spacey's a really weird one, because you're like, he, he seems like a creep, and he plays these creepy characters really well, and then it comes out he is a fucking creep, you're like, oh well.
2: Aye. Or so, oh,
4: mimicking life. Is- aye.
2: Yeah, I used to have this really bad bit about Kevin Spacey, which was kind of just a stupid pun, and it was something like on the lines of uh, "Oh, Kevin Spacey, I bet that's a stage name as well, just like I've got, because I bet when uh, he was on all those movie sets and, people, and he was going up to people, they were just like, Kevin Spacey used to get a laugh but most of the time it would just get a groan so I don't do it anymore
3: <laughs> here as long as you find it funny I think that's half the battle as well by the way because mm-hmm. so you're bisexual mm-hmm. you're, you've are you got autism yep and you are non-binary yeah so how does it feel being on a podcast called Straight White Whale
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean I really like the podcast so I'm honoured to be here <laughs>
3: there we go I appreciate it Paul do you like have autism
2: (laughs) what's your special interest Paul let's find out
3: do that water there mate what water did you say you bought water no I thought you said you bought water sorry mate did you know? Message me. My nah, message
4: say, you saying don't buy me any more
3: fizzy water. I've still got two bowls. All oh, right, okay, <laughs> sorry, mate. <laughs> um, I'm dyslexic, as, as we've just found out. There, <laughs> I read that as Paul bought me water, and I was like, "Cheers, mate." <laughs> oh, mate. Uh, sorry. No, don't be daft. Yeah, there's one that
4: has been
3: opened. Um, can I have a wee? We'll, I'll re-gift it. it. Is that okay? We'll
4: Giving you
3: back. Sorry, Dean. very unprofessional. Oh, that's a good flavour too, grape and blackberry. There's nothing wrong with your eyesight.
2: Do you oh. want a tan? Ah, oh, no, I'm all right. I'm okay. trying to stay off this. Right, a
4: um, what were you so- going to ask though? You were going to ask me? Oh, no. Was that the question? Did I have the water?
3: No, I was going to say, do, do you know anybody with autism? <laughs> <laughs> Apart <laughs> I mean, from me. My nephew's got autism.
2: But um, No,
3: think- I don't know. That was near the question. And I, I
2: think forgot. 95% of the Scottish comedy scene also has it. Like they either have ADD, ADHD, autism aye. or some kind of neurodivergent disorder. I want to meet the 5% that don't just to have like a different kind of conversation with them, you know? Well, so Well, like,
4: you know, we recorded, we won't give any spoilers. We, we recorded an episode of your podcast with Kate Hammer in here the other night and mm-hmm. she was saying it was very easy to spot the normies <laughs> in the green room. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I, um, I, I did think if I was on this podcast, I like, why is that? Are they funny?
3: <laughs> we are communicating through telepathic messages. Is he talked about us? <laughs> <laughs> uh, or just go on the comedy forum and you'll see it. Oh, <laughs> oh
0: shit! We're not naming any.
3: We're not going to name any names. But there's a Scottish comedy forum on Facebook, and that is just a clusterfuck of mental health problems. <laughs> but
4: like i'd mentioned i didn't mention it earlier but i like to mention it in this podcast i played in a band for 10 years and it's the same with musicians mate every single one of them has got some form of severe mental health problem or neurodivergence. i don't think
2: i um, I don't think it's like a
4: requirement to do the job but it does help it it attracts Mm -hmm. it attracts people like if i i think the stage attracts a certain type of person Aye, and definitely. that type of person seems to have some sort of like emotional deficit or you know like we're saying is neurodivergent and i don't know i don't know why that is but it just yeah. seems to be the case for the people that i've met
2: i think as long as you're self-aware enough it's fine so like when you posted that thing in the forum like it was uh, basically like a TLDR of this is like it was talking about people who don't really have that kind of uh they don't know how to talk to bookers essentially and I I really sympathize with this because I uh, set up a fundraiser gig when my dad passed uh, earlier this year and it was... All I posted in the forum was I don't know how to set up a gig. Anyone who could help me out and uh, show me what the sort of ins and outs of it are, I'd be gratefully appreciated. And I got tons of messages from cunts that I did not know saying like, hey, can I do a 5 or a 10 on the spot? And I'm just thinking you clearly haven't looked at the post you're just seeing this as stage time I now know not to work with those people again yeah. and I'm, my pals at the time because like I was going through it really badly they were saying like you should just fill this fundraiser gig with pros and just make it make the most money that it can and I probably could have done that because uh like CMB and uh, Liam Farley both agreed to go and do it like um I'll love them forever for that I'm eternally grateful for it. But it also, I don't think it would have felt right me doing that gig without my friends that had like come up with me and stand up in that. So we got CMB and Farley, and the, I just booked it out with people that I liked working with and uh, people that I would come up with. And also some people who um like there's a really good act actually that I uh, I don't know if I don't know if she's still on the circuit, but her name's Mia clock. She does, um, she did a couple of gigs like at the start of the year and I uh, booked her for that as well because I saw a lot of like really good potential in her and she fucking smashed it as well. I don't know if she's still doing comedy, but uh, she definitely did, should.
3: Is that a stage name or is it our...
2: I think it's a real name, yeah. Yeah.
3: Uh, No offence, Mia. I'm just like... uh, (laughs)
2: uh, Just in case I do. She always keeps to her time on stage, though, so it's fine.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Is that a dig, (laughs) you cunt? No, no,
2: no. No, No, because her last name's Clock. (laughs) That's
3: (laughs) a a clock. (laughs) Well seen. I've got something wrong with her. What do you mean by that? (laughs) Hey,
2: I I mean, on that, I mean, you're hosting the gig. As far as I see it, it's your gig. You can do whatever the fuck you want when you're hosting.
3: Yeah. Well... (sighs) Aye, the, co- the comedy forum is uh, a bonfire and, you know, all that stuff that Paul was saying about bands. Paul gave me some great advice about a year ago. What was the term again? Was it shadow? Living in your shadow? Well,
4: that That is a term, but I don't remember what context I said it to you. In. You
3: said something like living with your shadow or living in the shadow. The shadow being that your, your life, some stuff in your life uh-huh. can embarrass you and stuff. Uh-huh. What was the term? Is it just called the shadow?
4: Ah, uh-huh. so like, aye, union. So like, Carol Young, they, they referred to the shadow being the part of you of which it will follow you about everywhere. But maybe you don't want people to know about it, you know. And you, you that's you're living, you're sort of living, you know, living in in your shadow. But you, everybody has that sort of dark thing about them. And if you just, the best way for you to deal with that is to bring it out into the open. You know, like go into your shadow, don't like run away for it with mm-hmm. being sort of like
3: following you about behind you.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Well, I feel like I, I never knew that term, Dean, but when I something che- when I found my voice in mm-hmm. comedy, that's what I did. I brought out addiction, mental health, family stuff. But also like, see when I was doing stand-up comedy and I was a trolley boy Uh in Asda and I used to walk in a green room and there's like, not that I'm looking down in that job, I did that for 10 years but you're sitting with like Bridges or Tom Stade and they're like what do you work as? And I'm like fuck, I don't want to say a trolley boy Uh like I'm so ashamed of that but then something in my head was like I've got jokes on that and I can own it and embrace it Uh, so I would say apply that to your life, mate, and just fucking go for it, man.
2: I, just, I absolutely love Tom Stead. Uh There's actually quite recently, uh, me and him were both doing the Edinburgh stand, and he was at my first ever Red Raw, right? He walks into the the green room, instantly remembers me, and is like, "Hey, it's the Glasgow kid. How you fucking doing?" <laughs> and then he comes up and he's like, "Oh, see that line you gave to me about uh, me looking like a character from Vice City? I use it on my tour, and it fucking kills, man." And I'm like, "Tom Stade not only was nice to me when I had a fucking stupid stage name, he also uses a throwaway line that I gave him during my first Red Raw," and I'm just like, <laughs> "This gun's a fucking gem, yeah, man." He's I, like I a I would love to get him on Blood, Sweat and Fears eventually. He's an absolute riot and I, yeah. I love gigging with him.
3: He's a good guy. I went up to Edinburgh once at a venue that's shut down now. It was a dance club and I went up and I was like, fuck it, I'm going to do a character act. This was like 10 years ago or something.
2: Very and, fitting for an Edinburgh crowd.
3: Yes, <laughs> and Tom Stade was closing it and I was like, do you know I could do my best of or I'll just do my new stuff. And I went up and tried this character and to say that I hurrah, <laughs> it, it was beyond a death. It was like beyond a death. See the promoter? The promoter made me message the manager of the pub to apologise. <laughs> I had to apologise to the promoter and I had to apologise to the guy that owned the pub twice. And <laughs> and the only person that was laughing was Tom Stead. I've got to know what this character ad was. Do you know, it was very... I I love Andy Kaufman and stuff I must say it was it was trying to be like Andy Kaufman, Kaufman but not funny and I just it just went wrong but it wasn't offensive or bad it was mm-hmm. just terrible it was just fucking terrible just wasn't funny right. and then I seen Tom stay that uh, you know that laughter in the park oh uh, yeah the Mikey Motions gig for somebody that's been for I've been going for a long time and I've never really gigged with Tom and I seen him at the laughter in the park and he brought it up and I was like, can you sit and watch me here? He must have a memory of a fucking elephant then. <laughs> yeah, a good guy. Uh, have People... you had Tom Stead on this? No, I've not asked him.
2: Oh, hes uh, he said he would come on Blood, Sweat and Fears at some point and I've seen him like on other pods and stuff. He's a terrific podcast guest. Yeah, like, I'll get him on. I'm he did
4: fucking 10 minutes on so getting pegged at the funny bunch.
2: I've yeah. never seen... <laughs> tom's the kind of guy who can just improvise 10 on any subject like you could make it like a game of roulette for him essentially yeah. uh, he was brilliant absolutely brilliant
3: funny bones so uh, if tom's, you... tom's like you that's like you
2: that's, oh, thank you, that's like that level of like funny where they just can just go up talk be funny uh, and he's not he's not a prick about it either he's not like I'm, i won't mention any names but sometimes you meet pros who are like really too confident and kind of cocky and they treat other acts like shit. I even see open spots who are doing, uh, who are a bit more successful and getting other spots that treat other acts like shit. I, I fucking hate that stuff anyway, but Tom is someone who's just, he's got time for everybody and I really appreciate that from when, because uh, I, get, I get really nervous when I go into a green room and it, there's nobody I know there. Like I get kind of anxious and like sort of go into my own kind of shell a little bit until someone i know or someone says hi or something like that and i always worry that that makes me look like i'm being really standoffish it's not it's just autism like yeah. yeah but that's why i was really glad that when um i did your gig and like we had spoken a couple of times before it was very comfortable around you and a lot of the lineup was just people that i knew from the circuit
3: I can tell you're a good egg. All I need to do is just meet you once or talk to you once. Like, that's why when people ask me, can I get a gig at the Funny Bunch? And I'm like, well, I've never gigged with you. I don't know who you are. But then, you know, you came to the stand that night. I met you and I was like, he's a good egg. And then I seen you gig. Then I did your podcast and I, I knew you were going to be good and that's what other promoters are like I'm not going to just I'm not having a go at you by the way but you know somebody that you don't know will just mess like your dad's uh, gig you're yeah, like who exactly. the fuck are you? like
2: and it was even more annoying because that was a gig that I'm doing to sort of I'm still going through my dad processing grief of my dad's death and stressed out my nut trying to make sure this gig's going to be good and then to have someone just see that and just treat it as stage time really pissed me off
3: can I take a pad up and they knew stuff? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> i would have done that gig if you asked
2: me mate i i think it was just the case that we didn't really know each other as well as we do yeah. now like uh, if i if i have another relative die i'll get you for that <laughs>
3: one <laughs> we can make that happen Darren. yeah
2: but it's only going to cost you 400 quid <laughs> but even like um like <laughs> Anyone who would do new stuff at a gig like that would be fucking interesting. But CMB and Liam Farley both did like their best of fucking sets. Like they brought their game with that, and my friends and family fucking loved it. Yeah. Like it was, it was just amazing to watch. Like this was not long after Liam had just been on the Apollo, and the fact that he had said he would do it for free just because he knew me and like uh, knew what I was going through. I fucking love the guy, man. He's great,
3: amazing, and that's what the comedy community should be like. I mean, I'm not going to keep talking about the forum, but I basically went on the forum and I was like, guys, there's a wee bit of thing about like green room respect because there is a lot of people like you says you've got autism. I mean, Mm. I get anxious in green rooms. Green rooms are fucking horrible. Right. And I'm trying to say, you know, green room respect, be supportive, be nice. It's a gig. It's a comedy gig. And it was just all negativity. The cream always rises to the top. Mm-hmm. Thank fuck I'm on ADHD meds, by the way, because if I wasn't, I would be shaving my hair off and my eyebrows off and like Vaseline in my face up <laughs> in front of the mirror.
2: It'd be like, you'd be like that dude in the first uh, couple compilations of Saw who's rubbed Vaseline <laughs> and has to get a candle <laughs> around the fucking room. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and then two weeks later, I'm like, why did I do that? I, don't, I can't even remember. Eckies man, they're wild. <laughs> I- <laughs> So we've spoke about stand-up comedy, but I don't think a lot of people know that you also do voiceover work. Uh, yeah. you also do acting. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if you know this, Paul, but Dean was in a panto a couple of weeks ago.
2: It wasn't a panto. It wasn't a panto. No, it was Wizard of Oz, and I do know. <laughs> sorry. But, sorry. Sorry, I um, would love to do Panto, though. It's just like, uh, I think I you have, need to be a bit more of an experienced actor to do Panto.
3: I have failed. Sorry. <laughs> all right. No, uh, you were the <laughs> wizard.
2: I was, yes. Uh, that was mental. That whole fucking... <laughs> oh, but, you know, it was... So I'd seen that after I'd finished my third year at uni and I knew I was going to go into summer just doing stand-up. But I also wanted something on the side to do, something I could just get excited about. And I saw this... My friend Lois, who uh, I've done uh, plays with at Strathclyde Uni with the React and everything like that, they're, by the way, one of some of the fucking best friends I've ever had. You know, you can get their little shout out too. But it was a theater group that was putting on The Wizard of Oz and I've loved that character ever since I was young. You know, The Wizard was always my favorite character when I was a kid and I looked at that and I thought, I can bring my own kind of style to that. I can do my own take on that and have it be fun. Went and auditioned for it. Got the part. For the next three months, I was stressed as fuck trying to balance play rehearsals, comedy, the podcast, and other things. But despite all that stress, see everything, see that week where we were all doing it and all doing it together and just coming together and like that camaraderie. And I'm there doing my big Wizard of Oz voice and delivering all these lines to like the Tin Man and the Scarecrow and Dorothy. I genuinely got so fucking emotional like the 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 story as cheesy as it sounds the power of that story kind of got to me and I especially got to shout out this person uh, Annie Farrell who played Dorothy with me she is like a young Judy Garland like genuinely when she was doing some of the lines of Dorothy because they also had me play Uncle Henry uh who's like uh, Dorothy's uncle at the beginning you don't re- he's not really a memorable character in the film but I kind of as an actor i looked at that and thought okay how can i make him a bit more memorable so i based my kind of performance of him off of how my dad used to be when i'm growing up like you know strict but loving and protective and kind of like jonathan kent from smallville yeah and there were scenes where dorothy's just we just, we had Toto as like a wee little toy dog in a basket but i'm trying to like take it away from her so that miss gulch can get it and the way annie was acting generally got me choked up and like it wasn't just her who was playing Dorothy there was also uh, Leanne who played it on the other nights, um, you know like Michael Butler always playing the Scarecrow, Lee McIntyre playing the Lion and uh, all that the whole cast that I worked with were amazing and see that last night when the curtain dropped I, I just had this realisation of I'm I'm never going to be able to do this show with these people again I'm, I was quite fucking sad because like we yeah. had all kind of came together and done this and the best part of doing that play was see at the end we go out in costume and you're then you're taking pictures with like all the kids and stuff who have who are maybe like four or five or whatever and it kind of sits into you that you're probably their first memory of this story and that's fucking beautiful to me until i just realized they all wanted pictures with dorothy and walked past (laughs) me (laughs) It's like, my name's on the fucking poster, kid. Like, what's... <laughs> Apparently I made a kid cry in the audience as well, which was fucking hilarious. Like, uh, Job my, done. My little cousin uh, came to watch, uh, and he told me that when I was doing the big scary wizard voice, like, uh, trying to make him a bit more antagonistic, there was a kid next
3: to him who was crying. <laughs> Good. <laughs> That's sorry, showbiz. <laughs> That's the same with panto. When I see people crying and stuff, you're like, "Well, it's it's still a good memory." Mm-hmm. I remember crying at pantos as well, or hate proper hate in the body.
2: Oh, I uh, yeah, and like, I the thing I find about comedians doing acting as well, because like I get asked this a lot: Would you rather be a comedian, a writer, or an actor? I think they all work in tandem with one another. If you're a good comedian, you're writing all the time. If you also have acting skills, you can bring a bit of sort of theatricality to your performance and it all works together. It doesn't have the work against each other. So when I was playing the wizard, I'm thinking like, I'm going to approach this character from the idea of like, he's the living embodiment of imposter syndrome. He's a guy who's pretending to be something that he's not. And I kind of brought a lot of uh, experiences from my own life into that. So when I'm behind the curtain, I'm all like, I am the great and
3: powerful
2: Oz! And then when I get caught, it kind of goes into this, like, frail thing, like, Oh, I am the great and powerful Wizard of Oz. Yeah. But then the, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've seen the movie, right? Like, I'm assuming everyone here's seen the movie. Of course. Yeah. Like, How dare you? The The monologues that he gives to the each of the characters, specifically there was this one line with the Tin Man I had that got me really hard like and both eric and alex who played the tin man with me both times they absolutely smashed it and i have this line where it's like remember my sentimental friend that a heart is not measured by how much you love but how much you are loved by others and on the last night i had to fight back tears as i was saying that because that that was the point to me where i felt like i'd sort of become the character and like you kind of lose yourself in the performance and like it was a stressful thing, but I'm really glad that I did it. And I would happily go back and do another play with that group if I can make it work with comedy. I've got this thing of taking on too many things at the same time, and my mum says it stresses me out, but if I'm bored, that's that's worse for me. I'd rather be doing something creative with my time, like yeah. while I can. Yeah. Pretty much.
3: Have you got any cool if you get any other exciting projects like that coming up?
2: Um so reactor doing a, a midsummer night's dream this year i think on the first of december i'm playing uh i don't know the. i don't know how to pronounce the character's name philistrate like i did i was i did the audition for this last week and i did want to play lysander from midsummer night's dream who's kind of like this sort of uh lover dude and an errol flynn kind of guy thought i'll play it like a swashbuckler and when i got told I'll that, that I, term. Yeah. <laughs> when i got told that i wasn't lysander i was a bit like oh i'm kind of shocked but i thought i did well in the audition but then i started reading the script and lysander has like 200 lines that are all in shakespearean dialogue Uh and i'm like okay i'm glad that you never cast me as this because i would be stressed out of my hope. and philistrati as far as i know him is just some party planner animal so i can i can do something fun with that yeah
3: did you hear the the conspiracy about the wizard of Oz? paul are you aware of that side of the moon that i've is heard that one, one i've heard the uh the munchkins hanging themselves conspiracy that's the one i was thinking about but that's a belter as well mm-hmm. if you play pink floyd's dark side of the moon to it it goes in sync
4: if you hit playing pink's pink floyd's dark side of the moon when the line rolls at the mgm
2: sign at the start of wizard of oz they make sense i should do that because after like three months of trying it i'm still trying to get we're off to see the wizard out of my fucking head yeah so it's the munchkin conspiracy i'll I'll let dean say it's this uh i think there's a scene in the movie where the prop of it it kind of looks like a munchkin actor hanging themselves from a tree and people have disproved it they're saying oh it's just a prop flamingo or anything but i've looked at it and it i can see why people would think it looks like a person it is quite convincing but i think because i'm a horror movie fan i'm kind of maybe part of me wants it to be real because it gives the wizard of oz like an extra horror kind of vibe
3: yeah you
2: could turn that into a horror movie
4: quite easily, I think. Oh,
2: I mean, Return to Oz exists. Well, so. <laughs> that is a horror movie. That terrified me as a kid. The Mad Wheelie guys. Oh, a lot of those weird, like, uh, stop-motion and uh, really animatronic movies from the 80s have really horrifying t- undertimes with them. Like, we could probably do Labyrinth on Blood, Sweat and Fears and it would be all right. Yeah,
4: yeah. for sure. What's your favourite horror movie, then? What's the, what's the ultimate horror for
2: you? See, um... Jaws is my favorite movie. Scream is probably the horror film that I've rewatched the most because it's the most fun, but the movie that made me fall in love with horror was the first child's play because I thought Chucky was just such a cool idea for a villain and this is where I get like super nerdy and autistic. See if... um uh, the thing when i bring up chucky people are always like oh he's just a wee doll i could punt him across the room no you could not if your doll came to life and started coming at you with a knife you'd be fucking scared plus he's <laughs> got the strength of a full-grown man and brad durf's performance is, to that character is just so cool because up until then like dolls in horror films had usually just been silent and like they're more sort of metaphorical whereas chucky's got a full-on personality yeah and it's it's interesting in the world of horror as well because quite often you get the final girl whereas with uh, child's play it's a little boy who's the protagonist you don't see that a lot in horror nowadays and I think it just adds a little bit of a different flavor and uh, it's the one that like if I could bring it back to my voice acting I've always been able to do a fucking good Chucky laugh if you want that for a fucking clip yes yes so so Brad Dourif will get there sound, kind of sound like a Chicago gangster and then as he's running with his knife kind of just does this goes yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah, fucking cast good.
3: me, MGM. <laughs> Bang on. What about your favourite film, Paul? Horror? horror movie? That was um, a 10 out of 10 that laugh. Was
1: a,
4: I, I was going to say, man, I, that was a terrifying laugh. So, I know, well done.
3: Um, <laughs> I need a after that. Something that Chucky would never say. <laughs> after <laughs> calling somebody, I need, I need some a look-as-y. A look-as-y after this, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think
4: uh, it depends. This this really depends, like, this question, because I've got, like, sort of nostalgia. Like, I really liked the Freddy movies when I was younger, but um, I don't know. Like, see, watching them now, you're like, I think... They have aged a bit, I'll give you that. Very much so. Um, The first Omen movie. Ooh, it's
2: an excellent shout. Have you uh, seen a lot of people, actually, they fight over what's scarier, the Omen or the Exorcist? I honestly think the Omen's scarier i would say so i think
4: like the yes. exorcist was like it was it was a groundbreaker so texas chain the first texas chainsaw massacre movie i think if somebody was to nail me down and go like what is the what not what is your favorite what is the most groundbreaking and what ones lasted the test of time i think the texas chainsaw massacre like the first one it's ridiculous it's aye, it's like it's the first slasher movie. The still ma- made a fucking amazing computer game at it and all that, even now. So I would say that for me is like, you know, if you were to go, you're only allowed to watch one horror movie, but one you're going to recommend to somebody. But for me personally, the first omen, the pitbull
2: oh I nanny hell,
4: combo my mind scared the shit out of me. I had nightmares about her as a kid. And the women hanging herself like the way that it's they would sacrifice, yeah, they would sacrifice themselves for this wee boy. Like I think for me, my favourite's the first Omen.
2: uh that's a fucking great film. We haven't covered that on uh, Blood, Sweat, and Fears yet, but it's definitely one we are going to do.
3: Oh, you need to do that because it gets Sully as well isn't it. There's like six of them or something. There. Yeah, yeah.
2: The first three when it's
4: Damien, even yeah. though the D- Sam thing, what's his name, Sam the Guy that was in uh, Jurassic Park, Beckett. Sam Neill. <laughs> Sam Neill, like Beckett. Who that, the fuck Sam Beckett? Sam, Sam that, that, that sounds not, like a
2: Northwest comedian.
4: No, <laughs> Sam Beckett, know the main character in what was that? Quantum <laughs> Leap. Aye, Quantum Leap. <laughs> <laughs> is it no? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever watch Quantum Leap?
2: No, I've been recommended it tons of times. Though, it's, like... brilliant. it's brilliant. Do you know the premise? No, is it like sort of the time travel kind of thing?
4: Yeah. Kind of. Um, one of the episodes he. Uh, Transport into Lee Harvey Oswald, so he's to like so go back like Doctor and Doctor write... Who and horrible histories, yes. but up the budget. Aye, that's probably a good... that's cool. a, that's a great one. He, he's to go back and rewrite history, and he he goes back and writes wrongs in history. Yeah, that's what, that's the basic premise. Can it? he go
2: back in time and stop the psycho remake from being
3: made? <laughs> <laughs> stop
2: the just movies. movies. Um, but uh, what, what, what we talk about that? How did
4: the Omen? Oh, the Sam Neil one. It's kind of like godfather part three where you're just sort of like it's fine <laughs> nah, we needed that because we needed to round off the story but meh nah. but the first two man i mean some of the deaths it's like see that oh you were on there for too long uh the, the wee boy that drowns underneath the ice the there's a mm-hmm. woman gets her eyes pecked out i mean the deaths are horrific yeah. um but the first the first two three omen movies you're like right watch them but then when it gets into like the fourth and the fifth and all that new beginning or whatever it's fucking called see when they take has there ever been a movie like that that's actually been good where they've went we're going to completely change the character we're going to make it about somebody else like it just never
2: works i think to an extent maybe you could say nightmare on elm street 3 dream warriors because it focuses on completely new characters it's kind of a newer concept i think it's the best use of freddy in the originals like even more than the original movie for me because like uh, Dream Warriors kind of has that whole thing where it's like uh, we've got all these kids who have been already been kind of uh, gone through a lot of shit before Freddy's in the situation and then they've got a bunch of really cool kills. It uses Nancy much better. So I think it probably has happened. But usually when they completely change something like and forget the heart of what made it successful in the first place, like uh, have any of you seen the child's play remake that came out a couple of years ago? No. Yes. Where it's like, you know, a movie's bad when fucking Mark Hamill can't save it. It's basically they take the concept of Chucky, but instead of the voodoo stuff, they make him just like a doll with a tech thing that like malfunctions. They turn him into the Terminator and some of the kills in it are good. But without the voodoo stuff, without Brad Dourif's wheeled performance, the movie just feels boring and kind mm-hmm. of soulless. And it's a shame because two years later, that Megan thing came out where a toy malfunctions and like is trying to protect the kid and it's done much better. Yeah, Megan's really like the good version of the Child's Play remake to me. Yeah, Megan, Megan is a good movie.
3: What's your favorite, Don? Uh, I must say you're, that's a good shout with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I think through the time... It's not aged. I actually watched it during lockdown and I was like, holy fuck, that is. You needed a shower after it because it's so disgusting. That is still a 10 out of 10 horror movie. The soundtrack goes a long way for that as well, man. The soundtrack is amazing. But the first thing that I ever watched that made me completely terrified and addicted to horror, and it's aged terribly now, is it.
2: Ah oh, yeah, the nineteen nineties uh yeah. miniseries. Yeah, you brought the made Mini for T V The Made for T V one but I get what you mean though, because the homemade aesthetic of it kinda makes it creepier.
3: Yeah. Watching that as a child haunted me. And Tim Curry. Yeah, it mm-hmm. was fantastic.
2: Mm-hmm. I see, wait,
4: I um <clears throat> I'll i quickly Dean I worked in Virgin Megastore for a long time. Right. So I'd you know. There's context to that. Like I worked in Virgin Mega Store when that came out in DVD. So there was a period of time where some of the most classic movies of all time weren't available in DVD when they were transitioning for VHS to DVD. Mm-hmm. And it was one of them. People would come in all the time. You could only get it region one, which was like America. And when it came out, I was like, forget that, man. Getting that on ASAP. Cause I'd only remembered watching it from when I was a wee guy. And I don't know if I watched it in bits, like the TV. Would have dictated like maybe 40-minute segments, but I still thought it was pretty terrifying in certain bits, but it was so long. Yeah. And then the second half of it is like
2: I guess like a it's comedy, a, it's, it's, a, it's almost like, like a, a mini-series, that thing. Not it's not a film adaptation. Like when uh when the 2017 it came out, I remember a lot of people were describing it as oh, they're just remaking it. No, the 2017 it was actually the first film adaptation of that book whereas the one in the 90s was a made-for-TV miniseries, yep. and they do something with that, where it's they go back and forth between the adult and the kids like it is in the book, but I think that fucks the pacing of it. Yeah. So when they do it as like, but then when they do it later, it's like, the kids get their own movie and the adults get their own movie. You have one really good it film with the kids, and then you have one kind of mediocre one with the adults. Yeah. So um, I don't know what the perfect adaptation of that story would be, but like i I
4: remember that being amazing and terrifying and then as i watched it as an adult like oh wow i don't know if the cg isn't great you know with the spider and stuff like i don't know but there was something about it that you're like you're saying it hasn't aged well here's a question for these like what have
2: you been terrified by a movie as an adult Ooh. I'm pretty sure actually it was another clown thing that recently did and ironically it's called Terrifier and it's kind of like that Texas chainsaw massacre grizzly groundhouse vibe so uh, have you have you seen Terrifier
3: Yes there's two
2: Yeah the, the first one is of like Of course
3: I've seen it it's me
0: Foxy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Yeah so um I don't know if we're going to do it on the pod because like it is maybe a little bit too much maybe somewhere down the line but I've never had to look away from a movie, but with Terrifier, I was watching half of it with my eyes closed. Cause it's not it's not that it's scary, it's just that it spends so much time on the grim and grisly details. Like there's a point where Art the Clown, the villain in it, is sawing a lassie in half, and you see every glizly detail, every blood spurt, and he's laughing maniacally while he does it. He's kind of like a mimey kind of character. And then in Terrifier 2, I think, which I think is better, they it's more like an 80s film. It plays a little bit more like 80s horror, and it's really cool. Like, I, I would love to see where the guy goes with the third one, but uh, yeah, that movie, I still think about it every fucking day now. Like,
0: that's a I, great movie.
2: I wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot of Art the Clown this Halloween.
3: Yeah, that's a fantastic movie. Paul, what do you think about that? The, your question?
4: Well, it's mine. Yeah. The, I watched The Japanese Ring on a portable TV and a loft conversion... <sighs> Taking buckets at like midnight on like, a lot of Friday night. Oh, was the, the Japanese first, like, know how to do horror very mate, well.
2: Mate, like the, So <laughs> add ad, buckets into the oh, Don't they call that Ringu as well? What was what, that? They Ringu? call that one Ringu in Japan, oh, I think. Do they? Yeah. Which to me sounds like you know Pingu's weird uncle fucking Ringu. <laughs> <laughs> well,
4: <that> fucking <laughs> shite Beatles member or something. But you no, know, <laughs> like we were in like the far corner, of a loft conversion. it was pitch black and it was terrifying like to the point where if i had been by myself and i didn't want to be a pussy about it in front of my mates i'd probably have turned off that's how like like psychologically affecting i was finding it i was sitting there like pure oh my god but then when i watched so uh, my partner's 10 years younger than me and she's always like the ring is her favorite horror movie. And the I, one with Naomi Watts. Uh-huh. Which yeah. I love, right? Which I have watched and and I did enjoy it. But see, because I had been so petrified by the Japanese one when I watched the American one, I was just kind of like, mm, whatever. So for me, and I've not watched it since. And I've not watched any of the Japanese sequels either All because right. I did find it no, just, like, ha, like, that pure, oh, that that terrified me and I really enjoyed it. Like, I would have switched it off.
3: Yeah.
2: The thing that only gets to me about the Ring series is you couldn't really do another one without it being less serious because it wouldn't be a videotape. It would be, like, a fucking TikTok video.
3: Hi. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know you would get <laughs> getting around WhatsApp group chats and if you open
4: up the video... You get a fucking, you get a Snapchat that's like, Pure, you're
3: going to die. People are jumping on the trend and then they're dying (laughs) midway through it. Aye, that that is the way that they they would remake a film like that. Um, (laughs) Sounds hot. That that sounds, I mean, that sounds terrible to me.
2: I think it would be cool, actually. I think they did this in the third one, but it was an idea they had where they stuck the Ring videotape on an in-flight movie system and the entire movie took place on a plane. Ah. i can't remember if the movie was good but that's a cool idea for a ring that's that, that a cool idea what about you rings on a plane
4: <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, yeah i was trying to think your name i was trying to think you like the uh, samara samara I think it is, yeah. Yeah, samara's on a plane because if like loads of wee mini samaras can through the wee mini tvs <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> just, like a bunch of little funko
2: pops <laughs> <laughs>
4: Right, what about you? It's terrified you as an adult. We'll wrap on that because we are done an our on 15.
3: And hour on 15, right? There's a couple of things that I went to during lockdown and I watched for the first time. Um, straight off the bat, I'd say Hereditary.
2: Oh, yeah. That Anything that's great.
3: cult-like and demon-like is very scary. That was uh, that was very, very scary. It's on Netflix, Paul. <sighs> I'm
2: going to take a wee bit uh, But this.
3: during lockdown, one that fucking haunted my dreams was, uh, is it called Addition?
2: Oh, yeah, the Takashi Miike one. Alan's been wanting to do that on Blood, Sweat and Fears for ages.
3: Yeah, that is
2: horrible. I've not seen it, but he's told me it's great. So, like, we're definitely going to get to doing that on the pod at some point.
3: That's an Asian horror. It's about a guy that loses his wife and his friend is like, why don't you set up a casting couch situation and cast an actress as your wife, but use it as a chance to just get a girlfriend? And he's like, I'm not doing that. Fuck that. And he does it. And he, he gets someone that he gets fucking obsessed with, and she's a psychopath. There's no really spoiler alerts because it is essentially gore gore porn. Right. Uh huh. But she, the entire film is like they go out on a couple of dates, go back to his house. He has a cup of tea, and then he just wakes up and he's like strapped to the carpet, and she's like tool tool bag it takes all these stuff out and starts, like, cutting his toes off with fucking cheese wire and stuff.
2: I need to watch this.
3: Wow. Yeah, and I'm uh, watching that in the bedroom that I grew up in. We know here. 20 stone during lockdown, like that. And my mum's like, do you want a cup of tea, son? And I'm like, don't come in. Don't come in. <sighs> so, aye, it was good. Don't watch that, taking buckets. Dean, have you ever took a bucket? What does that mean? Oh, my God. It's... Maybe
4: your generation of people would call a gravity bomb. I don't even know what that means. So uh, like... Okay, so basically you have. I'll I'll do it. I'll I'll use the terminology that you knock the arse out a ginger bottle. Right. So you, basically you put a stone in a glass ginger bottle. You do that until the arse falls out. you, which happens. Right. It's like science, right? Um, and then you cut the top off a two-liter bottle, an empty two-liter bottle of juice. You fill that up with water. You put the empty ginger bottle, then you poke holes in the cap of the ginger bottle. You put hash on that, you light it, and you rise it up. That's why it's called a gravity bong because right. the pressure of the water draws the smoke into it, and then you're left with the probably the most disgusting cloud of smoke that you ever inhale in your life. And then, and then this is what we used to do in the scheme. Now, I used to do. I used to take two buckets at lunchtime in school and then go and do physics.
3: Scheme chemistry, chemistry. <laughs> Schemistry. <laughs> I know. I'm Schemistry. i just make a bucket there. Scheme, scheme chemistry.
2: Uh, no, I have never done that, but uh, like it's funny you mentioned because actually Jack Trainer had to explain that what the phrase brand new meant to me after about seven months of knowing him so you brand new like yeah, that. anytime right. we'd be in a comedian's chat and he'd say like oh this comedian's brand new for about seven months I thought he meant it literally like the first gig yeah and then he said like oh Tom <laughs> stage brand new I'm like mate he's been going for fucking years <laughs> no,
3: no
4: he's been going for 10-15 years and then when
2: brilliant. I told him that I was like Dean you are so fucking autistic mate.
4: Like, brilliant see <laughs> so to be fair right you grew up in dubai (laughs) like if somebody came here and didn't know and had never had that explained to them i would understand why they would be like what do you mean brand new Uh i totally get it
3: plus if you get caught taking a bucket in dubai you'd probably get 140 years
2: oh yeah absolutely i've had mates who went to jail after like being caught selling weed and that (sighs) really yeah wow they're really strict with it over there but uh yeah that's why i've never really been involved in like the drug scene i've taken weed once but it just made me feel sick and then i tried to watch the first five minutes of pirates of the caribbean and by the end of that five minutes i felt like i'd watched the whole trilogy
3: yeah well, that's what we're gonna do after this podcast, mate. Excellent. We're rigging you up a bucket. <laughs> <laughs> and we're gonna watch all nine of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. <laughs> we're having a Johnny Deppathon. fun. Hi. Hate- well, we've went over time, Dean. So we normally do an hour and we've done about an hour and twenty minutes. So we're gonna wrap it up with that if that's right. okay.
2: Absolutely. It was a pleasure to be on, man.
3: Here. Brilliant, mate. You're always welcome back. It's an open invitation. I'll get you back to the funny bunch as well, and if I'm ever doing gigs, I'll get you in for support if you've no fucking went through the stratosphere by then, you can't.
2: I will do a gig for you anytime, Darren.
3: You're an absolute <laughs> legend, mate. So see people that listening, listen to this, that we have a good group of people that listen to this if they want to follow you in socials and all that stuff what's your podcast and what's your social media
2: all right so you can follow me at uh, dean t burn pretty much everywhere that's uh, all one word dean t and it's spelled b-e-i-r-n-e And you can follow my podcast, uh, Blood, Sweat and Fears Pod on uh, Instagram and uh, TikTok and BS Fears Pod on Twitter. It was kind of this idea of we wanted to do a horror pod that didn't feel academic or pretentious or in your face. I do it with my friend Alan Jay, who's also a very fucking funny comedian. We have a blast in here every time doing it. And uh, likewise, we're definitely going to get you back in. For that, uh, for whatever movie you want down the line. And Paul, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, we should probably get you on as a guest at some point. We could do Omen. Yeah, we we could get you on for the Omen, man. That would be class. And uh, yeah, if you like horror movies, comedians having a good chat, or just uh, the both of that, then go and give us a subscribe. We've got some great episodes coming up, some great guests booked in for the rest of the year. And all I'll say is a big change is coming to it in the new year. A big change that I think a lot of the longtime listeners are going to like. I'll leave it at that.
3: (laughs) Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Well, Dean, thank you very much. You're a belter, Paul. Thank you for your help. And thank you for everybody tuning in. If you leave us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, it would be appreciated when you see me post this, a retweet or a re... Uh, Vine, whatever you call it. TikTok. a we TikTok? I know I'm showing my age. <laughs> Wish uh hang with a TikTok. Make sure to share it with your community center.
2: <laughs> Revine is just such a fun word. Yes. Do you remember Vinding? Yeah, but I never really took interest in it. I was in my edgy, like, oh, what's social media? I'm gonna go back to reading books kind of face back then.
3: <laughs> well, I think we're gonna call the podcast Sh- swashbuckler. Excellent. Unless you want to call it something else.
2: A swashbuckler sounds fun. I like that.
3: Okay. Thank you very much, everybody. See you next week. Paul, just delete that.
1: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's.